This week, Reverend Wendy continues to look at ways for us to explore our world from a spiritual perspective. Reverend Wendy includes practical ideas and suggestions to help us unpack what is blocking us from moving forward and how to more compassionately improve not only our lives, but the lives of everyone in the entire world. So we have been on a journey together and I hope you've been enjoying it. I certainly have been enjoying it. I've been enjoying working on these ideas myself. And uh, today we're going to be almost wrapping up. We have this week and next week to be um, finishing our exploration of a book written by the American Tibetan Buddhist uh, nun by the name of Pema Chodron. And her book that we've been using as a basis for most of the ideas in this series is called Fearless, uh, the theme of the series is fearlessness in difficult times, but the book is The Places That Scare You. The Places That Scare You. And today we're going to be looking at the bodhisattva energy, if you will, the bodhisattva activity. And you may wonder what bodhisattva is. Bodhisattva is a Buddhist term, and depending upon what branch of Buddhism you're studying, the idea of the bodhisattva, the definition of the bodhisattva is, can be a little bit different. In some Buddhist traditions, a bodhisattva is anyone who is wise and generous and who dedicates their life to helping others on their spiritual path. Anyone who is wise and generous and has dedicated their life to helping others on the spiritual path. I like that definition. The next one is a more traditional um, approach or definition of the bodhisattva, and it is this. A bodhisattva is one who has reached enlightenment, one who has freed oneself from the wheel of dharma and yet has chosen to incarnate in human form again and again until all suffering is ended and until all have been freed and enlightened as well. My favorite definition is one kind of in the middle of those two. And this is my working definition of the bodhisattva. The bodhisattva is one whose entire being is directed to the highest welfare of all beings, serving them with an awakened heart of unconditional love. It's a vow to wake up not just for oneself, but for the welfare of all beings. I want to repeat some of that. I think those are important ideas. A bodhisattva is one whose entire being is directed toward the welfare of all beings the welfare of all beings, serving them with an awakened heart of unconditional love. An awakened heart of unconditional love. Say that with me. An awakened heart of unconditional love. And so it's a vow, it's a promise, and this part also deeply speaks to me. The vow, the promise that one's awakening, one's deepest commitment to practice a spiritual way of being in the nitty-gritty of one's life, that that commitment is not just for the betterment of one's own life, but really is to be in service to all others, to be in service to where there is pain or suffering, what is it that I might do that can lift that, whether it is a hand, whether it is a word, whether it is an action, whether it is some form of support. Our theme in this series has been spiritual awakening, and awakening not by retreating from life, 
but spiritual awakening by getting into the nitty-gritty of our lives and by a deep willingness to see and to recognize that truly everyone can be our teacher. Now, without question, some teachers are much easier to like than others. Those angels in human form in our life are easy teachers, are they not? And the Bengali tea boys and the sandpaper to our soul folks can be more challenging teachers in our life. But it is the journey of spiritual awakening that says I'm not going to retreat from my life, I'm going to immerse myself into the nitty gritty of it and bring my full spiritual awareness and practice into whatever I meet. And I will look through the lens of trust that everyone and everything can ultimately teach me and help me to grow and to evolve. It is also to realize that every single experience in our life is an opportunity for us to train and to practice. And our practice is in the deepening of our own spiritual journey and, and inquiry. It is the awakening of a spark of divine love within us. And we teach that in unity. We teach that we are made in the image and after the likeness of spirit of God by whatever name we choose to call that. And that inherent within it, in every single one of us is this divine spark. And it is also can be looked at as a spark of love. And so we are here to dedicate ourselves to a greater understanding of that, but not just an intellectual understanding, an actual practice of it. And just as we might learn any skill in our life, there are the techniques and the elements of that skill that we must learn, but then we must practice over and over and over. We must understand what it is that is right practice, if you will, and what it is that is wrong practice, if you will. We must understand those things that help us to do better as well as at least be aware of those things that seem to be stumbling blocks. If you were with us last Sunday, you know that we looked at some of the obstacles to our awakening and specifically we looked at as is taught in Buddhism, laziness as being an obstacle on the spiritual path. And specifically, we looked at three kinds. Do you remember what they were? Yes, that was the first one, that first service, remember to indolence being one. Do you remember the second one? Excellent, inferiority. Excellent, I think that was Eric over there. And do you remember the third one? The third one was addiction or attachment to non-virtuous action. Basically wasting our time and spending our time in activities that really do not serve the evolution of, of our soul. And so we got some clarity, some understanding around what are some of the things that are obstacles to our spiritual awakening, the awakening of the heart, the awakening of the bodhisattva within us. Today we want to look at the virtues that help us to expand into that energy. Now there are six of them. In some Buddhist traditions they say 10. I chose the shorter list, shouldn't surprise you. Um, six of them that I wanna share with you. I'm not gonna be able to spend equal time on all of them, so I will make sure that you know what they are. And as I introduce them to you right now, just kinda check in with yourself and see if just one of them jumps out 
at you a little bit more. Because if it does, that might be the one that you want to just think about throughout this week and attempt to um, practice in your life a bit more. So the six virtues that help the bodhisattva awareness or bodhisattva energy in us expand are these. Generosity, meaning giving of oneself. Generosity. Virtuous ethical behavior is a second. The third is patience or forbearance. The fourth is energy. The fifth is one-pointed concentration. And the sixth is wisdom. Just take note. Did any one of those go, oh boy, that's, I, I just know that's mine. Pay attention to that one. So now we'll look at each of them in, in some depth. The first, generosity. Giving of oneself. Giving of oneself. Pema writes, the essence of generosity is unconditional love and a boundless openness of heart and mind, completely free of attachment and expectation. That last part is kind of the clincher, isn't it? Completely free of attachment and expectation. We might say in common vernacular, it is the idea of giving without any without any strings attached. And so it speaks to how we give and the consciousness behind our giving. She goes on to say that the perfection of generosity is not accomplished simply by the act of giving nor by the actual gift itself, but rather by our pure motivation of genuine concern for others. In that, there's some real important insight and depth to this idea. It's so easy for us when we think of generosity to think about giving stuff or to think about doing something. And there's certainly, that's a, that's a part of it, but I want you to step away from that for just a moment and look at a deeper understanding of generosity from the standpoint of generosity, giving of, of oneself as a way of being first and foremost. And it's out of that way of being that we then listen to and will respond to and take action, which may lead to a particular doing or giving of something. But what is important, what is most important is first the heart that is a generous heart. It's a way, <clears throat> excuse me, it's a way of being in life. It's a way of being in life that cares so much out of compassion for one another that it wants to be of service to what will lift or support or help another. So it's a very mindset or a very heart set with which we approach life. Does that make sense? And that is different than just approaching this idea of giving or this idea of generosity in terms of what do I physically have that I can give to somebody else. Sometimes that kind of giving is actually empty because the motivation or the genuine um, generosity of the heart is not there. The bodhisattva practice requires that the heart is there. I like this other piece, piece that Pema writes about with regard to giving of oneself. And I'd never heard this before, but I found it very helpful. She writes, the essence of generosity is letting go. Pain is always a sign that we're holding on to something. Generosity, the essence of it, is letting go. And pain is a sign that we're holding on to something. 
We can look at that on many different levels, actually. She also talks about a, a practice that is sometimes done um, to help people experience this idea of letting go. And it is to take an object or an element that you really cherish and hold it in one hand and just very consciously trade it to the other hand and just begin to practice this idea of release, this idea of letting go, this idea of emptying out of non-attachment. Pain is a sign that we are holding on and the practice, the bodhisattva practice of generous heart is to help us overcome this clinging energy that we seem to succumb to in our lower human nature. Second quality is virtuous ethical behavior. Virtuous ethical behavior. I think we would serve ourselves, our world, our family, our organizations so much if we would really focus on ethics. If we, and ethics is not the same thing as morality. Morality tends to look very black and white. I'm not gonna go down that path right now. Imagine, though, if we each held ourselves to the very highest ethical standards of conduct in our workplaces, in our families, in our communities, and in our organizations. And imagine if we held ourselves as a society to the highest levels of ethical behavior. Do you think the world would be different? It would be so different if that one thing we were to practice that one thing, ethical behavior, ethical decision-making, ethical speech, ethical writing, ethical action, we would, I believe, be co-creating heaven right here on earth. I will never forget when I first learned the importance of committing oneself to harmless action in life through the practice of three simple questions I've shared them before, I haven't shared them for a while. But it's one of the simplest ways to practice a harmlessness of living. And it is to ask oneself before one speaks, before one acts, before one decides these three questions. Is it kind? Is it true? Is it necessary? Can you imagine if we held ourselves to those three questions and only spoke, only wrote, only took action if the answers to each of those three questions was a clear yes. Yes, it is true. Yes, it is kind. Yes, it is necessary. Would that be a practice? Would that be a life-changing energy to put around? What if we... You know, teach that to our children. What if we model that with exquisite accuracy? Is it kind? Is it true? Is it necessary? Virtuous ethical action. Pema also teaches, and I agree with her, that virtuous ethical behavior is not always a simple black or white matter. That we must be wise enough to look at the very context in which we are acting and behaving and showing up. She writes, we may sometimes have to tell a lie in order to protect someone from harm. 
There is no act that is inherently virtuous or non-virtuous. That is a very deep idea and a very true one. There is no act that is inherently virtuous or non-virtuous. The warrior, spiritual warrior, trains in the discipline of not causing harm, knowing that the way to do this skillfully may change with circumstances. The third is patience. Say that with me. Patience, and not the kind of patience where you're gritting your teeth and then air steaming out of your ears while you're standing in line for that really slow person in the checkout that's got way too much stuff. That's not the patience that we're talking about. You've been there too, huh? <laughs> We've all been there. We count how many things they ever. Never mind. <laughs> I know, and no, I haven't followed you around this week. At least I don't think I have. But the kind of patience that we're talking about that is of the bodhisattva quality, is the strength of mind and heart that enables us to face challenges and difficulties without losing our composure, externally or internally. It's an inner tranquility, and boy, that does take practice. It absolutely takes practice, and you know that as soon as you make a decision that this is a quality that you want to practice in your life, I promise you, you will get many opportunities. The universe will rush in to say, here are all the opportunities to practice this. It works with all of these things. If you say, I want to practice greater tolerance, you will be given all sorts of sandpaper to your soul people in your life in which you can practice tolerance. If you want to practice non-judgment, you will be drawing into your life some of the most unusual people and circumstances in your life. How else can you and I learn how else, truly, all joking aside, can we learn to embody a different way of being if we're not given those situations in our lives that require us to find the strength to develop that capacity in the face of that thing, whatever that thing may be? Otherwise, it's all just theory. And we can spout theory all day long. But we don't change until we know what it is we are trying to change from to what it is we are trying to change to, and then take it out of the theory into the life experiences that require us to practice that very thing. Pema tells a story in this particular chapter in the book of a man who decided that he was really going to practice patience and he was going to practice it particularly on his drive time to work. And so whether it was a red light or a slow traffic or rush hour traffic that he was just going to consciously breathe in and breathe out and center and be patient in whatever driving conditions he found himself in. And he was doing really, really, really well this, this particular day and pulled up to um, a red light and a woman was walking across through the crosswalk and he's just being very patient. He's practicing because she's going really slow. The light's already changed. It's time for him to go, but she's really going slowly. He's practicing patience. And all of a sudden, the woman turns and starts kicking the car and screaming at him. And he completely loses it, <laughs> completely loses it. And he starts yelling and screaming at her. And the two of them are yelling and screaming. And then he writes, and Pema tells his story, that he realizes, oh my gosh, here is clarity around where I have yet to grow in my full embodiment of patience. Can you relate to that story at all? 
I bet you can. So patience, the ability to, to remain steady and calm, not through gritted teeth, but through clarity. The fourth is energy. And you might wonder, energy, what does that have to do with the bodhisattva? What does that have to do with, with the caring of the welfare of others, of awakening and growing yourself, not just for the benefit of you, but for the benefit of others? What does energy have to do with that? It has a lot to do with it. And it actually relates to last week when we talked about laziness on the path. Energy is about not letting discouragement and not letting ourselves get discouraged or disheartened either with our slow progress or with the state of affairs in the world around us. How many of you can remember first coming into metaphysical teachings and, uh, and learning these ideas and practicing these ideas and really feeling your, your life take off and really noticing significant growth and improvement. Can you remember that? Raise your hand. It's exciting, isn't it? And then I bet you've had the experience where that kind of tapered off after a bit. And you may have felt like you were on a plateau kind of like in this transition period, like wondering how come all the things that I used to practice that I'm still practicing don't seem to be resulting in these phenomenal leaps forward in my personal or spiritual growth. And what often happens to people on the plateau, whether it's a spiritual growth plateau or a plateau in learning a new skill, because it happens there as well, what often happens is we, dis we get discouraged, we get disheartened, and we begin to give up when that's the very time that we need to stay steady and focus and continue with energy and diligence in doing that very work. I've nicknamed for myself something um, that refers to my meditation periods when my meditation seems not to be just producing or I don't seem to be experiencing the same depth of experience in my meditation rather than being lazy and saying, oh, well, I just seem to be stuck. I'm not going to do it for a while and pick it back up in another few days or week. I go, no, I will still sit on my cushion and I will still practice. I call it my placeholder practice, meaning that I'm about cultivating certain habits. And I have learned that in the cultivation of certain habits, whether it's patience or kind-heartedness or tolerance or clearing my mind, that there will be times that I do better than others, and I must not become lazy and drop my practice because I'm disheartened. I need to keep the energy going, and it will break through to a new level. The fifth is one-pointed concentration. One-pointed concentration. I've been thinking about this one quite a little bit because I've noticed something in me that I, that I don't like. And it is that as my life has gotten busier and busier and busier, and as I have had more and more that seems to be on my plate without me getting some off my plate, what I have found is I'm having a harder time during just a normal day to keep my mind focused on what it needs to be focused on. And so it is jumping in so many different directions. Can anybody relate to that? I think it is also, a, a, what's the word I'm looking for? It's also a phenomenon of our time that not only does it seem that many of us are 
filling our days with more and more stuff, more and more responsibility and work without even being able to have the time to say, what do I say yes to, what do I say no to? Some of you are, are nodding your heads here. And then all the distractions or the opportunity for distraction around us, that this idea of one-pointed concentration is an area that I know I need to really focus much better on. And I know meditation is a key to that because in our formal meditation time is when we best begin to train the mind. But we also, I think, need to look for ways to catch ourselves when the monkey mind is going on all throughout the day. When we wake up first thing in the morning, how can you be behind schedule if you wake up at four in the morning? I'm still asking myself that because it doesn't seem like you should be behind schedule if you're waking up at four in the morning. So what do you do? Some of you can relate. So what do you do with that monkey mind? I'll share what I'm starting to practice right now around this for the one-pointed concentration because I know it's key to clarity and I know it's key to, to a lot of these other qualities that are important as well. And that is, I'm going to use driving as a place that I do then. Let me tell you what I mean by that. I have noticed that I will drive here to the center in the morning and pull into the parking lot and wonder, how did I get here? Now, I know I've heard when people drink too much and they leave a party and they get home, they wonder how they got home. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the realization, oh my gosh, my mind was in so many other places. And yes, I drove safely, but did I drive mindfully? The answer is not really, not really. I invite you with this idea of one-pointed concentration to pick an activity in your life and to start doing that activity. It's better if it's one that's kind of a routine thing. To practice bringing your full mindful awareness to that while you're doing that. So whether it's your short drive to work or your long drive, Turn everything off and pay attention, complete attention, to exactly what you're doing as you're doing it. Maybe it's just going to be something even shorter than that, because that may be a long time to give one point of concentration to. Maybe you practice with when you brush your teeth. Can you be fully present to that? Why is any of this important? I'll tell you. Because until we can become masters of our mind, until we can focus our mental energy and attention, we will always be sidetracked and we will seldom find that place of clarity and calmness within us. So it's a really important quality. And the last, very quickly and briefly, not because it's not important, but because of the time, is wisdom and insight. You know, in our Bible we're told that Solomon, when asked of anything he could have, said, Give thy servant an understanding heart. An understanding heart is another way of saying wisdom. Because wisdom resides not in intellectual knowledge, but almost in gut level intuitive knowledge, heart knowledge. Give thy servant an understanding heart. In Proverbs are told, with all thy getting, get understanding. The more we practice our meditation life, the more we look at these other qualities, we will begin to experience a profound growth in wisdom and insight. 
and things do begin to become clearer and easier for us. So I want to close with a reminder and a practice. And the reminder is that in this time together, we have chosen to look at how do we continue to awaken spiritually? What are some of the blocks or obstacles we want to be aware of so we can make other choices? And what are the things that we want to practice so that we can open up into this spiritual awakening? Today, we looked at the bodhisattva energy or the bodhisattva presence, which is that heart that generous heart that cares not only about oneself's, one, one's own awakening, but genuinely cares about the awakening of others and the service of others. So a fundamental practice in a lot of Eastern spiritual traditions is to always do good. And if you cannot do good, at least do no harm at least do no harm. And so I invite you to go throughout this week with this thought in mind, that whoever you encounter, whatever you encounter, ask of yourself, how might I help this person or how might I help this situation to suffer less? How might I help this person to suffer less? Namaste. Thanks for listening. Sunday services at 9 and 11 a.m. Inclusivity. It's worth the drive. Subscribe to our podcasts and download our free app for instant access to a wealth of spiritual teachings, services, and events.